Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The way to de-risk any investment is to increase your level of knowledge, and that can be either through formal education or mentoring or guidance of some sort. And I think really the real risk is not taking any action. This is Property Investory, where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum, and in this episode, we're speaking with Amazon best-selling author, chartered accountant and founder of the Freedom Warrior program, Selena Kilkarni. In this episode, she dispels myths surrounding alternative investments, outlines the main fears and concerns she hears regarding them and explains how they can tie into the wealth game. When it comes to investing into alternative strategies, the word alternative can stir up fears for many people. It's often a new field for scores of investors as opposed to the traditional methods they've used in the past. Kilkani regularly deals with these fears and concerns regarding alternative investing and shares a handful of the most common ones she comes across. When you use language like alternative, it definitely conjures up you know, something really scary and maybe um, could be dodgy, could be illegal, could be a scam, you know, those sorts of things. But um, in broad terms, alternative investments are really this very vast bucket of strategies and investments which basically sit outside of mainstream. And what that means is that they're often in um markets uh, which are less regulated and it would include things all the way, you know, if you think of it as a spectrum, down one end you have things like venture capital, hedge funds, you know, seed capital and, you know, everything that's the wild west really. And then down the other end of the spectrum um, you have alternative strategies which are investments which are backed by real property and that's the end of the spectrum that I tend to sit, uh, you know, I'm a pretty conservative sort of person. So alternative just means outside of mainstream. It doesn't mean weird. It doesn't mean risky. And I guess one of the things that I, you know, coach people on is that the idea that just because something's unfamiliar doesn't inherently make it risky. And so when you kind of start to put your head into this world and and start to understand it, you can see that in many instances, a lot of these alternative investments are actually lower risk than what we deal with in mainstream. And that's partly because, you know, you can eliminate um, sentiment and, you know, a lot of them have more immunity to volatility and, and things like that. So I think, um, yeah, it, it is a, a broad kind of description, but, you know, I sort of sit squarely into investments that are backed by real property. And, and that's what I love about this particular space as well too because we know as property investors, 
when you've got a, a property, it's a tangible asset. You know, it's not like the share market where you get a paper and uh, you know hope that the company's still doing well and so forth. You actually have a security that is backed by a property. So if something does happen, Touchwood doesn't. Um, you can go back and there is actually some value on it because if you've done your homework and your due diligence, there's usually evaluation that determines you know how much this particular asset is particularly worth as well too. And what I'll add as well, and you've said this really really well, is that. People are fearful sometimes because it, it alternative may you know sound risky, but I guess if you define the word risk, it's how much. How, in my opinion, I guess risk is is how much um, are you willing to I guess sacrifice in the sense to be able to achieve an outcome that is going to ultimately give you a reward. And everyone's got different levels of risk appetite as well, but in this sense, is that. Everything that you do, regardless whether it be a property investment or driving down the road, there is some level of risk. You just got to determine how much risk is involved and then make an educated decision behind that because ultimately, if say for example, driving a car, if you've never driven a car before, of course, you're going to say it's risky because this is the first time you've driven it. You're definitely going to have a, a high chance of crashing into people. But because you've taken some training, you've educated yourself on how to, the rules of the road and so forth there's a very unlikely chance that you'll have an accident and therefore your risk is mitigated. And I'm putting that in this in that example because hopefully it's easy to understand. It's the same thing as property and I've learned over the years being doing these type of things is that if you actually can determine what is the level of risk that you're willing to take and then how do you mitigate that risk by doing your educate by educating yourself or by doing the due diligence, you can actually get to a level of comfort that you go, okay, this reinvestment seems to be quite minimal risk and therefore, you know, produce a, a very good return. And, and I guess that that comes with experience at the end of the day as well. So that's why I just want to add to make sure that uh, investors also understand that point of view. I agree with everything you're saying. The way to de-risk uh, any investment is to increase your level of, level of knowledge and that can be either through formal education or mentoring or guidance of some sort. And I think really the real risk is not taking any action, um, you know, and I think, you know, the metaphor, if you're going to go there, is that it's a bit like going to university and then not going to any lectures or tutorials and then, you know, being frustrated that you're not employable. <laughs> not only that, you know, you don't even get any grades because, you know, you haven't been turning up to any of your <laughs> exams. So, yeah, you can't, you can only blame yourself for that. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think what's interesting is that, I, as I mentioned, I get a lot of, I guess, people raising their concerns and fears about I guess this type of space and probably one of them that usually gets raised up a lot and, and, and I guess I'll put it in more of context is that say for example you're investing into buying a, a property and the average return if you get a good yield is maybe maybe between five to six percent up in you know the north of of um, Australia um, but when you actually break down and I guess have all your expenses and so forth you might net maybe between one and three percent you know as an investment property. Now, a lot of what we've been looking at in these investment spaces, anywhere between 10, 20%, you know, um, could be, could be anywhere in that vicinity or that range. And people go, wow, that's a fantastic return. You know, I don't have to have, I guess, you know, have to buy a property necessarily. I, I don't have to go out and, and do so much time and, and, and research to buy this kind of property. And then I guess at the end of the day, I don't have to go to the bank and get the money and all those kind of things, which can be a headache, you know, in, in one sense. And you can literally just put your capital in this and get a fixed return. And you choose a term or you find a term that's suitable for you. And I guess the biggest question that they always ask me is, how is it possible that we can get these kind of returns? You know, why is it not publicly available? 
it's the, the perfect question. Why, why can you generate, um, you know, extremely high returns comparatively in the alternative space compared with mainstream? I think ultimately the reason that the returns are as high as they are is the way that the deals are structured just allows for those kind of metrics. So, for example, um, if you're doing a, a lending deal, which is one of the five buckets of, of alternative strategies. You've got lending, joint ventures, um, syndications, private funds, and then direct property, which is the one that everybody knows. Mm. But you know, if, if you're doing a lending deal and um, your loan is the difference between the deal working and not working, but it's still a great deal, then they're going to pay a premium. So that's you know that would be how it would work in your case. In my case, um, a lot of the alternative investments that I really love um, is that they're in markets, other markets outside of Australia, where you know the the price of real estate relative to the income stream is just completely different to here. Um, a lot of people don't realise that Australia is a little bit of an anomaly. Um, the you know the way that our market has evolved is there's only one way to transact real estate, and you know the the fact that it's a national pastime has really pushed prices through the roof. We've had a lot of interest from foreign investors over time because it's such a stable market, which has also contributed to, you know, runaway capital growth. And so all of those things combined, and then you look and you say, well, why haven't rents gone up in, in parallel? And part of the reason, and I was talking to someone about this the other day is, you know, wages growth can only go so far in terms of pushing up rents. So we're in this strange situation now where property prices are astronomical, rents are relatively low. And so, you know, it's really hard to structure deals creatively here to squeeze out income. Whereas in other markets, um, and I'll give a, an example, you could buy a nice quality property for say 150,000 that pays $1,500 a month. And so when you're looking at metrics from that perspective, you can see why, you know, it, you can get 10%, let's use that as the low bar, eight to 10% net after all your expenses all day long without taking any, you know, significant risks. And that's why the numbers work. And that's why it's not that there's a, a greater risk. It's just that the mechanics and the economics of one market have evolved really differently to ours. I totally agree with you on that side because, you know, sometimes it's just about who you know really to be honest to, to get access to these type of deals and there's so much noise in the market saying, you know, look at me, I've got a fantastic deal, you know, th this is great and, you know, a lot of people out there are usually salespeople trying to sell you property so they can make a comm or commission if people, you know, don't know what comm means but I think ultimately it comes back down to your strategy. And, and making sure that that fits into your strategy because if this isn't if alternative strategies is not what you are looking for at this point in time then you obviously won't be out in the market to find it but if it suits you and you're looking for another way to better sort of accelerate to grow your portfolio or to generate additional income then this would be a, a fantastic option to look into coming up after the break she explains how numbers aren't always as black and white as they seem. Property people, experts do it all the time. Here is the profit and loss projection and the growth projection for this asset. But the thing is, 
you know, as an accountant, I can say it's, it's very easy to fudge those numbers. How everything ties into her three-part wealth building game. That is when taking a small piece of that capital and looking at how you could, you know, leverage the cash flow inside of alternative makes sense from my point of view. She explains how everybody involved needs to have their judgment hats on at all times. From a diversification point of view, um, you know, it's it's hard for someone to really kind of argue that that there was, would have been a safer way to do it. And that's next. I'm Taran Sham and you're listening to Property Investory. Hey, property investor, is your cash or equity currently earning you 1% to 2% per annum sitting in the bank? What if I said to you that you can do better? To find out more, simply register your interest to become a money partner at propertyinvestory.com. Right now, there are great opportunities in the property market and I'm looking for money partners who want to invest to get a high return with low risk on their money for 6 months. Register your interest by visiting propertyinvestory.com. A common question when it comes to alternative investing is what happens if the deal goes south? After over a decade in the alternative space, Kilkati shares the wisdom she's garnered when it comes to this specific concern. I personally believe after having been in this space for 12 years that the best deals are certainly not ones that get advertised through marketing channels. Um, You know, they are done in private networks and I've learned the hard way and I've certainly had a lot of cuts and bruises that if if they're marketing or advertising for investors, um, that's questionable. I mean, that's a bit of an exclamation mark or red flag for me to start with. With the deals that I tend to do, one of the things that I'm looking for, and this is you know part of the journey that I'm on is leveling up people's ability to think as a sophisticated investor is around having really strong rules for what you're looking for when you do due diligence on a particular trusted advisor or deal or you know how deals get selected or whatever. And one of the things amongst many that I'm looking for is I want to understand what is my downside protection? Are there multiple exit strategies or is there only one way out? And the guys that I work with, the trusted advisors that I've cultivated who really form part of my inner circle, they can articulate really clearly that they have multiple exit strategies, why there is good downside protection, how much speculation is involved in the deal. And this is the number one thing. What is the risk adjusted return? I was talking about that with an investor earlier today, and I think In property investing and in any investing generally, it's really easy for someone to show you what they call a pro forma, meaning like a a projection or a profit and loss statement on here's how this investment is going to perform. And, you know, property people, experts do it all the time. Here is the profit and loss projection and the growth projection for this asset. But the thing is, you know, as an accountant, I can say it's, it's very easy to fudge those numbers. Um, And what you really want to do is be looking for opportunities where there's a little bit of stress testing um, going on because you you can't predict with any great degree of certainty how things will pan out. So my preference is to kind of look at, well, where is the profit and loss on that asset today? 
or that investment today. Tell me what you're going to do to improve that, but don't try and bake in some projection around growth. Um, you know, in today's terms, how is that deal going to be structured? If you were to apply a level of risk to that return, where does it take me? Because it's really easy for, especially in the um, alternative space, for someone to say, oh, yeah, that's a 15% uh, return, net return. And it's not that those deals aren't possible, but I'm always asking and looking for depth around how much risk is attached to that return. So there's no shortage of investments out there in the alternative space. That's probably one thing. Once it's on your radar, it's a bit like, you know, the whole, uh, what's it called, the reticular system when you start thinking about buying um, a red Commodore. You see red Commodores everywhere. Uh, but it's the same with alternative. You know, you start putting your head in there, there's plenty of, there's no shortage of people out there. But, you know, the, the truth is wherever there's opportunity, there's sharks. So you've got to be someone who's got a great game plan and who knows how to ask the right questions and do good due diligence. And also have a, a group of trusted advisors you can seek out advice from as well too because yes, as I mentioned, uh, as you mentioned, there are plenty of sharks out there and I've been caught out by you know a few in the past and I've lost money in that thinking that it's a fantastic deal. It's, it, it's easy to, to just go, wow, you know, it looks amazing, put the money in there and you, you'll never see it back. So, and, and that's what I, I vowed in my own business to make sure that doesn't happen because I will do whatever I can even if I have to pay with my own money to be able to pay the returns back to my investor, I will do that because that, that's you know just part of me. So, I just like you, as I said um, in the past that we do a lot of due diligence in what we look at and it, it's so, so important to look at that part and that aspect to make sure and asking about questions is always great and very, very important as well too. So that's excellent. Um, another concern or, or fear that a lot of people have is will I be able to afford to put money into these things because you know, I, I, should I be buying an investment property first if I don't have much of a capital base or should I be putting my money here to be able to sell it on my growth and do that and maybe I'll, I'll put an example in place. Say I've got you know maybe a couple investment properties. I've got you know maybe a million dollar asset, and I've got maybe a couple hundred thousand dollars to invest into these. But you know these deals look amazing. I need to put in you know reasonable amount of money to be able to get a good return. Should I be putting all my money into these type of alternative investments? I think the the heart of that question is really you know when is it the right time to be thinking about alternative? And, you know, we've talked about this in the past. I think part of the journey that you're on as an investor is recognizing what part of the game you're in. If you're a completely new investor and you're in a situation where you've got limited income, then I would say the highest probability for success lies with building capital first. And there's no better vehicle to do that than traditional property. Um, so part of wealth building, I think, is having patience and recognizing that, okay, this is the part of the game I'm in. I've just got to do the hard yards. There's no shortcuts. There's no, there's no silver bullet. So if you're in the first part of your journey, which is I need to build capital and for everyone, you know, that's into, from a timeline point of view, that's going to vary. You know, for some people, it could be as little as five years because they happen to buy in growth markets or a growth cycle and they've got good income and that allows them to borrow and blah, blah, blah. You know, there's all those variables. For other people, it might be as, you know, 10 to 15 years. 
But when you reach that point where you feel like you've optimized what you have, you've, you know, really maybe even hit a, a limit with your borrowings and you're looking at your portfolio, you can see that it's kind of on a trajectory that will get you to a reasonable net worth in time, but you want to start to take control and speed things up. That is when taking a small piece of that capital and looking at how you could you know, leverage the cash flow inside of alternative makes sense from my point of view. So I call that part two of the game, which is really about how do I take this terrible, and I, I say this with much love for Australian real estate, but just super crappy cash flow and change the trajectory so that I can actually start to, you know, and, and really what this boils down to, how do I change the cash flow, not for the sake of it, but also so that I can actually design a life that I want, which may or may not involve staying in the work that you do. It could be, you know, a career change or being spending time with family or, you know, pursuing passions. And then, you know, the third part of the game is really the refinement and the legacy piece where you start to cultivate annuities, which is the the blending of, you know, the assets that you might have already had with your alternative. So, um, you know, I think timing is really about um, the recognition and the wisdom about, you know, where do you want, you know, which part of the game are you in? Where do you want to be? That's a really, really good point. And yeah, I, I think everyone's situation is going to be different and everyone's going to have a different journey and it just got to figure out what's going to be the best and right time for anyone who wants to jump into these as well. Excellent. Another fear or yeah, another concern that I, I've had raised in terms of question-wise is let's say you, you've done a bit of research on the sponsor and if there's been a good track record from, I guess, advisors saying that they've had a good you know, amount of great deals and their deals look amazing, but then there's maybe one or two bad reviews online, you know, and it, it, you don't know where it's come from, but it, it is obviously a, a genuine review. How do you handle situations like that? Because if the sponsor has had a good track record, you've dealt with them for a long time um, and they've had great deals that other investors have invested in and have no issues with them, but they've had, you know, some potentially bad reviews online because of one deal maybe delayed or whatever it is and somebody's just gone ahead and complained or maybe it could be a competitor who've left a bad review as well, which is also possible. How do you handle a situation like that? As an investor, you would ask the question, tell me about this. What is, what's that about? Um, you know, sometimes there's a reasonable explanation and, and sometimes there's not. I think the thing to recognize is that um, squeaky wheels will complain. And I know, you know, just even outside of investing, if you look at Google reviews for restaurants and things like that, um, you know, if you have an exceptional experience, you might post a go Google review if you can, if you can be bothered. But if you have a bad experience, you're very quick to post, you know, not, not me personally, but I see that people are very quick to post reviews. Um, but I think that the thing to remind yourself of is there's no guarantees with any form of investing. Um, the journey for most investors is about looking at all the different strategies and opportunities that are available to them at any one time and then assessing, you know, which ones are in alignment with their goals and then layering that with some analysis of, you know, how do I take everything about this opportunity and identify the risks and figure out what I can mitigate and what I can't? Because the truth of the matter is there are no guarantees 
if if things were guaranteed, everyone would be investing in it. Um, but you know, I look at you know, I predominantly how I invest now is I invest with my trusted advisors only. Like I don't go out there looking for new opportunities that I can't vet, basically. So I look at it from the viewpoint of, you know, let's say you go into a deal and it doesn't work out, even after all of the things that you did did right. The worst outcome I see is that, first of all, I'm putting small amounts of capital into many, many deals. So I'm, I'm spreading the love and the risk of something going wrong when I've built such a you know, I'm, I'm investing across different geographies with different deal makers, with different strategies, with different liquidity points in different assets. So like from a diversification point of view, um, you know, it's, it's hard for someone to really kind of argue that, that there was, would have been a safer way to do it. So the worst outcome in my mind is that I invest in a deal. My judgment is poor. Um, their judgment is poor. The deal sponsor's judgment is poor, and that could happen with obviously any investment. But the goal is to stack the odds in your favor. Investing is really about de-risking as much as you can and stacking the odds in your favor. Um, I believe that given what I know about alternative real estate and traditional real estate and the share market, I feel alternative investments are actually one of the least risky asset classes out there. Um, you know, what a lot of people do and they think it's safer is they take their hard-earned money and they put it into a big publicly listed fund of some sort, like whether it's a super fund or a managed fund of some sort, and they believe that to be safer. But the truth and the reality from my perspective is the people who manage those funds, they get paid whether their investments succeed or don't succeed. In my world, the way that the, the people, the trusted advisors that I work with operate is you get paid first as the investor or I get paid first as the investor and then they get paid after I've earned a certain rate of return. So I like that because that seems fair to me. Yeah, that's basically like performance-based. You, you know, you're not in it just to basically send out any deal. They're, they're in it to actually ensure that the deal is successful for them and also for, for us as well too, making it very less risk in that sense to um, look at it because they've got their own interests. Can you imagine if um, any of these big listed um, managed funds turned around and said, actually, we're not going to pay ourselves unless we get a really good result for you? Um, I mean, I just, yeah. Sadly, I can never see that happening, and I think that's part of why the um, the wealth industry is is flawed. To be honest, a lot of times the financial advisors recommend stuff because they're selling it, but they don't actually have their own money in it, and, and that's that's not what this is all about. You know, I, I invest into a lot of these deals that I, I share. If I had the money, I'd invest into every one of these, <laughs> but you know, I, I'm only limited by a certain amount of capital every every so often. So, yeah, it's it's a very very good point that you've raised there. I guess the last thing probably wanted to ask is how do you sort of determine um, what or maybe share like what are some of the potential risks that you have seen and, and maybe just talk about some of the mitigation strategies behind some of these. I'll start by saying the words Bernie Madoff um, and you know for those people who are listening that don't know who Bernie Madoff is, 
he has gone down in history as uh, being the mastermind of one of the worst Ponzi schemes in history. And uh, Ponzi scheme meaning you take money, you pretend to invest it, and then you use new money coming in to pay the old investors and you just keep building a basically a hollow investment. And I know that the elephant in the room for a lot of people is how do you know that something's a Ponzi scheme or not a Ponzi scheme or, you know, Bernie Madoff type situation. And again, I think it sort of loops back to the the comments I made earlier is there's no guarantees, but what you want to look for is proven track record. Can you talk to past investors? Can you talk to people who've maybe been investing for 20 plus years with that trusted advisor? Um, you know, what sort of um, audit process do they allow for, you know, do they have an, an independent administrator? Um, how transparent are they with their reporting? How often will they report? What kind of tr information can you expect? Um, you know, past performance, uh, yeah, the, you know, everything that we've talked about today, risk-adjusted returns, those sorts of things. Because if you look at, uh, you know, and I believe there's a movie about, you know, Bernie Madoff, which I'm, I've got it on my list of things to watch. But essentially, when you, you know, in those circles, what was happening was ultra rich people. And what people don't know about Bernie Madoff is he was at one point, actually one of the most successful fund, hun, hedge fund managers. Like, so he had a period of legitimately being very successful and then sort of lost his way in later life. But the people who wanted to give him money were giving it to him blindly because I trusted him. It's kind of like, well, you had a track record of performance, so I'll just assume that my money's safe. And I don't know that that's the smartest way to invest. So, you know, one of the things I say to my clients is, you know, when you're talking to these trusted advisors, there's no dumb questions. You know, don't don't be afraid to ask the questions that nobody else wants to ask. Thank you to Selena Kilkarni, our guest on this special episode of Property Investory. And if you love the show and are ready to get serious about investing your money to get a low risk, high return, then SMS me your name and email address on 0499881040 to become a money partner. Right now, there are great opportunities in the property market and I'm looking for money partners who want to invest their money for a short 6 months. To register interest, text me your name and email address on 0499881040. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamline my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, 
scale quickly, and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.